0: This will definitely be our longest episode ever.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 126 of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. Uh, With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassenaar. Hello. Not a Mario themed welcome amongst you. I'm
0: disappointed. Mario's (laughs) voice is annoying. (laughs) It's a me. I don't know. That's better. It's something.
1: Uh, okay, so we've got a, a packed show. We're gonna gonna give our final thoughts on games like Spiritfarer and uh, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey. Uh, we're gonna go over the latest Switch news, all the announcements from the latest Partner Direct and uh, Ubisoft's reveals. Uh, we're gonna talk about Ari and the Secret of Seasons. We're gonna talk about Assassin's Creed Liberation, that was my personal favourite of that series. Uh, Fight Crab, which sounds amazing. Uh, Cadence of Hyrule, which uh, Tori's been uh, delving into. Uh, They're both going to talk about Hades, I'm going to talk about Stranger's Wrath, and we're going to do a bit of light discussion on Mario 3D All-Stars. Okay, so with that, let's uh, get right into the latest Switch news. Okay, so first up in the news is that the Nintendo finally ended production of the 3DS. Uh, My surprise is that this didn't happen sooner. Uh, I thought that thing was uh, long and gone. A great machine overall Uh, I was so happy to have one But yeah No longer needed because the the Switch does Both jobs Yeah
2: It had a very slow start But Mm -hmm. uh, once it picked up I think it turned into a lot of people's favourite
1: Yeah for me it really picked up around the uh, Mario Kart and uh, 3D Land time That was when it started getting its big hitters uh, Yeah it's funny the you know, every console you know pretty much launches with a, a light lineup, and uh, everyone forgets that
0: when it's Nintendo consoles. <laughs>
1: uh, anything you want to add on the 3DS, Andrew?
0: Not really. I mean, I, I had a 3DS, I played it a lot, but I just don't look that fondly back on the 3DS or the DS. I, I had them because they were the new handheld that was out, and that was what the new games were coming out on, but when I think of my favorite handheld, I go straight to the Game Boy Advance. I, I don't even consider the 3DS. <laughs> it held on a surprisingly long time, especially since it launched to similarly bad uh, situation the way the Wii U did. But you know, there's there's some good stuff on it. I just I never was that attached to it. I think it's
1: a particularly good system if you're into JRPGs. Oh yeah I think you are well served
2: Yeah I think uh, overall it, it made me realise how little I actually liked handheld gaming in terms of comfort Like holding a console mm-hmm. Especially with the longer games There were so many longer games that I bought I started and then I just realised I don't want to play this on a tiny screen with a low resolution So I was... The Switch was like the perfect console in that regard as an upgrade Because I could play on a TV
0: I think that's one reason I like the Game Boy Advance, especially the Game Boy Advance SP, because you can play it one-handed. So <laughs> that made <laughs> that that reduced hand cramping a lot. If I was just you know playing a lazy game, you know, like Pokemon or Final Fantasy Tactics, a turn-based game like Advance Wars, I played a lot of Advance Wars on my Game Boy Advance SP, and I just would stretch my thumb across from the A and B button to press on the D pad and just play all kinds of games just one-handed. It was great. <laughs> it yeah. was perfect size. <laughs> uh
1: so let's move on to the news. Uh so Nintendo Surprise uh revealed that they're bringing out Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Uh the you know the follow-up to the the Muso Hyrule Warriors but this one is uh considered canon set before the events of Breath of the Wild. Uh I tagged Andrew in this as the second I saw the news. I imagine you're quite excited. Yes. I mean, if only I could uh, spot the subtle hints of that, you know, since you (laughs) called it Game of the Year 2020 in our show notes.
0: (laughs) Don't reveal the show notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excited. Um, I imagine you're hoping that it will have an adventure mode style uh, side mode.
0: I certainly hope it does, but with everything they've revealed of it so far and how they've described it, I'm not going to be surprised if it doesn't, so that's going to also avert heartbreak <laughs> uh, it, it's a musou game musou games always have something aside from the main story um, and adventure mode in the original hyrule warriors was obviously incredible and had a lot like years worth of post-release support for it so there's literally hundreds of hours of additional content in the original hyrule warriors i hope age of calamity gets that kind of post-release support I hope it gets an adventure mode, but you know what? It's a Hyrule Warriors semi-sequel, and it's a prequel to Breath of the Wild. Of course I'm going to get this. <laughs> like, no hesitation. <laughs> I'm so excited. Just a few episodes back, I predicted, is Pikmin 3 going to be it for fall? That's not great. And then they released this. They announced this. It's like, oh, yeah, looking forward to <laughs> to November now. <laughs>
1: uh, This is probably their their last big announcement of the year, probably. Or their last big release for the year. Yeah, Tori, you're interested in this one?
2: Uh, Very much so, even though I'm not that great at Musou games, because they are a bit mentally (laughs) taxing. Like, they Mm -hmm. require a lot of concentration. But the Breath of the Wild setting is just awesome. I'm I'm wondering who's going to be playable.
0: I've got a whole list of things that I think are (laughs) going to be playable. (laughs) is going to be playable. Uh, (laughs) King Dorophon is going to be playable. Uh, I'm sure
2: Ganon would be, in some form.
0: Eh, I don't know. Ganon doesn't really have a form in Breath of the Wild, and I appreciate that.
2: In some form.
0: Yeah, uh, the Ganon Blights, I think it would be cool if they made them playable. Yeah. But just being able to play as the champions, that's going to be so awesome. Like... (laughs) There's that,
2: I'm also, it's such a weird specific request, but Cass's teacher would be such a curveball addition
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, For me, I think I need that Zelda coat of paint to make me actually play Musos That's fair it certainly right. helps
0: <laughs> I think having a familiarity with the source material, regardless of the one you're playing, helps Mm-hmm Uh, Yeah, so that's that. Uh, Next up we've got the Ubisoft Forward reveals.
1: Uh, Let's also take a moment to remember that uh, Ubisoft are in some sort of internal review for countless abuse scandals and people they were protecting, so I don't think we should ever forget that when talking about Ubisoft games at the moment. But They announced that they've renamed... uh, uh, Gods and Monsters, and uh, they're now calling it Immortals, Phoenix Rising, which sounds like a mobile game. And apparently it was all the fault of Monster Energy, the sugar drink.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't say it outright, but somebody did some digging and found a, a court ruling related to it. So.
1: <laughs> I hate when companies think they own words.
2: Right? Especially when is in gaming as ubiquitous as monster
1: yeah <laughs> look out Pokemon you're next
2: or monster hunter but we'll get into that
1: yeah yeah. Uh, it, just a weird offshoot one uh, there's an English football team whose nickname is the Posh and uh, Posh Bice tried to sue them <laughs> over that once in a similar vein. Very posh move. You, you know, And married to a footballer who would have been like, oh, <laughs> oh, what are you doing? <laughs> those are my friends. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, that was funny. Uh, so they also reveal Prince of Persia Sands of Time, but we're not 100% sure if this is coming to Switch yet. Uh, I would hope so, given how those screens look. <laughs> um, I've no real experience with those uh, 3D Prince of Persia's. I did enjoy the the reboot one on the. 360.
2: I don't think I've played a single Prince of Persia game ever so I've got nothing to add to that one unfortunately
0: (laughs) i played all three of them Sands of Time is easily the best one but I don't think any of them were essential so yeah they were making it. Good for you
1: (laughs) (laughs) They did announce that Scott Pilgrim vs. The World Complete Edition is coming the actually resurrecting this uh, dead digital only game which i'm very happy about that was a very good side-scrolling uh, beat-em-up with you know cool systems that you know you get experience you get new abilities there's tons of different characters uh, disappointed that they haven't confirmed a physical version just yet uh, i did email pr and got told probably not um but the creator of Scott Pilgrim has since said that he's hopeful that they still will uh, Yeah, Andrew, uh, you pointed out the irony of them doing this as a digital only, considering you know the the outcries for people wanting this back on, on digital stores since forever
0: Is it really Scott Pilgrim if it's not going to be doomed to digital oblivion? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, either are you too excited for that?
2: I mean, I played it a lot when it first came out when I was younger, and yes, but like you mentioned with the Ubisoft stuff at the beginning, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit iffy on getting it right away.
1: Yeah, I've uh, got the 13 remake pre-ordered for Switch, and um, I must admit I'm a bit... <laughs> I pre-ordered it the week before all the the revelations came out. Yeah,
0: I'm a huge Borderlands fan So I've just totally insulated myself From games I like Versus the people who make them (laughs) (laughs) That's fair It's turned into a minefield lately
1: Uh, I do like a lot of uh, Gearbox's output um, But not necessarily Some of the people that work there Um, A certain magician Maybe Yeah Uh, (laughs) Yeah I guess, you know, some people can, um, you know, get past it by believing. You know, these are are big teams Um, in any walk of life. When you get a group group of people, some of them are going to be crappy people. Uh, And that's just true of every workplace and every walk of life. I think Uh, it's
2: uh, follow your own internal moral compass. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to judge anyone who buys it. I want to buy it. I don't feel like I can, like, and feel good about it. But everyone's going to have a different take.
1: Uh, and you know, th- there are ways to to do that in a way that still, you know, doesn't reward them. You know, secondhand market still exists for, you know, physical releases. That you can always wait a couple of weeks and get it on discount, or you know, something like that. That that that's the way some people can uh, get oh, sure. around it. Definitely. Uh, but then we'll just move on to the big one, so the Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase. I thought this was the best of the bunch so far.
0: Well, it helps when you actually have things to show. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and stuff we didn't know about, such as the first game, uh, Monster Hunter Rise. Now, just a a quick you know refreshing of my history of the Monster Hunter series. I've tried it many many times over the years. Uh, I have continually loved the concept, but I. There's just something about the games themselves that doesn't stick, and I fall off pretty quickly. Uh, the last one I tried was uh, Gen Ultimate, and didn't last very long in that. Uh, a lot of people yelled at me to try Monster Hunter World, and yes, I probably should, especially since it's on Game Pass. Uh, so when when they started the announcement of this, I was like, oh, well, I can probably ignore this. And then I watched it, and then I was actually pretty excited by the end, and I'm I'm in that. Please Please don't make me try this again no i'd already decided that i'm not doing this <laughs> uh and yeah i it's slim Pickens for next year so far but uh possibly one of my most anticipated titles now so it looks like a portable monster hunter but with the accessibility and world world traversal of something like uh, monster hunter world uh, and that excites me because uh, these are typically really dense games that aren't very newcomer friendly. Uh, and yeah, this this at least looks like it's rectified some of those issues, um or let's just say lessons learned from Monster Hunter World and how big a phenomenon that came. Uh so yeah, uh I think you are both in the same boat in terms of, you know, liking the concept and bouncing off the actual thing.
2: Um Yeah, I I am. Uh like you said it does seem like they've kind of learned some lessons from World and uh it looks like they've brought over many of the concepts from World without bringing over necessarily I hope the um games as a service stuff mm-hmm. cuz World was very much made for the western market
3: mm-hmm.
2: and Rise seems like to be a more traditional one that just kind of has that has a hint of that accessibility, like to get newcomers in. Because that's that's the biggest problem with Monster Hunter that I've had. Is that you need somebody that's well versed in this series to kind of take you on as a uh apprentice and teach you a the Sherpa. ways A Sherpa, there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a Monster Sherpa <laughs> I've wanted to get into the Monster Hunter series for a long time. Like I, I first tried it with Monster Hunter Stories on 3DS. I tried the demo, and I really liked the demo. Uh, and I was hoping that would be my introduction to the series. And then when I actually played it, I realized, oh wait, this this isn't Monster Hunter. This is Pokemon. <laughs> so that didn't work. <laughs> and then I got Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate on Switch. The same time as Andy did. And like I did like the game. I just didn't like the way it handled like it was really off-putting the the controls and the way the characters moved like i I wanted to use the rifle and it behaves in no way like any gun you've ever used in a video game before so that (laughs) threw me off too um not least because in this full motion cg cutscene that introduces the game clearly shows the character using the rifle like a rifle, and then you get in the game, and it doesn't work that way. Uh, anyway, I could go on. About, I could go on about that for quite some time, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it wasn't the size of the game. It wasn't all the systems that put me off. It was just how awkward it was to play. And uh, finally, I I stuck with it long enough until I got to this crab monster that, like, literally everything I did, my attacks would just bounce off of it. So I, I was combating controls that constantly felt like they were barely functioning uh i I compared it on twitter in this past week to uh a tank driving a human suit (laughs) and then uh (laughs) then against a monster that when i could hit it i wasn't even hurting it my attacks were literally bouncing off and it was ruining my weapon and that was where i just kind of noped out i was like i just i don't want to do this anymore (laughs) so i'm looking forward to a classic monster hunter experience uh with controls designed for people who like to play video games you know (laughs) well
2: it's worth mentioning that the the current offering for um monster hunter on switch is a 3ds port Mm -hmm. so the controls are very sloppily adapted from that
0: i think We talked about that at length when it came out but I actually did kind of appreciate aesthetically the way it looks like when developers do HD updates of 3DS games I love the way the text looks (laughs) it's really distinct
1: Yep, Uh, and that wasn't the only Monster Hunter announcement Andrew just mentioned Monster Hunter Stories they announced a a full sequel, Wings of Ruin Um, I didn't play the first one I've got no real interest in a A Pokemon Star Montana, because I'll just play Pokemon instead. Andrew, I think you raised the question about whether this is uh, the first Switch exclusives from a major third party AAA publisher since Mario plus Rabbids. I
0: can't think of Uh, any. I think you're right. That are released
2: (laughs) or announced?
0: That have been released. What's been announced? (laughs) Uh, SMT5. That's true. That's the only (laughs) one I can think of, though.
2: Yeah. Because I know SMT3 uh atlas so Uh,
0: yeah they're yeah they're triple a okay but it's okay that that, that, that's that's four (laughs) and somebody on twitter tried to tell me octopath traveler i said no that was published by nintendo doesn't count also on pc not an exclusive it's also also (laughs) a
1: multi-format um yeah yeah i think you're right
0: That's just really sad, and I I hope that Capcom, you know, making not one but two Monster Hunter exclusives for Switch, well, you know, hopefully Rise will stay an exclusive. Stories, I think, probably will, Uh, Mm -hmm. but we're getting into the next generation of gaming now with PlayStation 5 and Xbox 2020 launching at the end of the year. Like Developers, publishers are inevitably going to run out of games to port. And that's most of what the third-party support on Switch has been. I'm not complaining. It's great. A lot of my favorite games have been really great third-party ports, but they're going to run out, and they are either going to have to start making something new, oh my god, or they're going to drop support of the Switch, and <laughs> it's going to be a harrowing year when that finally arrives. I wonder mm-hmm.
2: if that's the drive behind these rumors of a, a newer 4K Switch. Because it would make sense to to be closer to feature parity with the next-gen consoles for for the sake of ports and cross-platform.
1: I think 4K for a Switch is going to be very different to what people think when they hear that line.
2: I I have my own assumptions, but I'd I'd be getting way off
0: (laughs) off uh, uh, topic. There are enough people Uh. who never even use the switch docked that they wouldn't even notice a 4k update it would have mm. no effect on their experience so it would have yeah. to be tv only and i i suspect that it would
2: be using nvidia's dlss tech but that's getting
1: again off topic like i said <laughs> this is a nintendo podcast we don't do technical talk i know um <laughs> new okay. switch how many game cubes taped together
2: look- as a dlss um no you tape. Gamecubes together to make a Series X Xbox.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> Ten, if you want it to be sentient. <laughs> okay, that's bringing us back on top topic now. Yep. Uh, that was the big Monster Hunter news. I think I feel like they were the the two big announcements from that, um, and the ones that deserve the more chat. I'm just going to burn through the rest of the list. Uh, if you want to speak up with something stop me. So uh, next up was uh, Fitness Boxing 2, Rhythm and Exercise, coming December 4th, uh, allowing you to box to music. Uh, disguise 6, Defiance of Destiny, coming quarter two in 2021. Uh, another one of those series where, try as I might, I just cannot get into it, even though it looks like it's my
0: kind of thing. You need a billion hours free. Yeah. Gotta grind up to level 9999. And you've got
1: to create a weapon and then jump into it because it's a level somehow where you can create new weapons that you can also jump in. I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> Don't you be mad bad-mouthing Tangle Deep. It's a really good game. That is a good game. Uh, Empire of Sin. Yeah. Uh, I know Andrew was looking forward to that one. Uh, coming December 1st from Romero Games. Uh, basically looks like XCOM Gangster. And am down. Uh, Sniper Elite 4 I think that's are they on 5 now on other platforms that might be the last of the the big Sniper Elite games to come that's coming quarter 4 2020 uh, The Long Dark is available now came out on the day of the direct that's a cool looking stylistic survival game Uh I don't know why Andrew I had you picked for this one The Long Dark? Yeah
0: Yeah look cool but you know there are a couple other things that came out this week that look cooler and the price tag is a little off-putting uh, I'll probably grab it on a sale someday, though. Uh, they showed off PGA Tour 2K21. I don't know, I thought that was already out, but, so that was weird.
1: They also announced that Hades from Supergiant Games uh, came out on the day of the Direct. Uh, I think it had been in early access on like PC platforms, and it went live with its full version on the same day as this, so that was cool. Uh, we're going to talk about that later in the show, because two of you have played it. Balam Wonderland... Uh, From Square Enix That was Square Enix, wasn't it? I believe so That's coming March 26th Next year Uh, That looked weird Sure did It looked really bad
0: (laughs) It it looked bad
1: (laughs) Room Factory 5 Coming in 2021, we kind of already knew That that was coming at some point Uh, I know Andrew has uh, renewed interest In that because of his time With uh, Story of Seasons and lastly, uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps came out on the day, of course, uh, an Xbox exclusive formally, uh, and the follow-up to Ori and the Blind Forest, which is uh, one of my all-timers. The sequel, however, launched on the Xbox in such a horrific state that my instant thought here was just, oh no, this is going to be a horror show. Um, I, I'm reliably informed that they fixed will of the wisps on xbox since uh, i should jump back into that i i quit after i beat a boss fight by like bugging into the wall uh, and then the boss just sort of died and then that whole act then prevented one kind of platform from working as it should
2: mm. sounds like sounds like that's a deadline
1: that yeah <laughs> and no amount of restarting made the, the platforms work again, so yeah, hope, hopefully that's all resolved now. Um but they did announce a boxed collector's set of both games, which I'm very much interested in because you cannot buy the first game physically on any platform.
0: It's a very
2: pricey box set though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was when I saw that I was like, ooh. Then I went to the website and saw how much it cost and I was like, ooh
1: But it comes with stuff. It so does. I want the stuff.
0: I want the games, but not for that much.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that. That's the uh, all the news. Bit of a packed week for, for news for a change. Before we move on to what we've been playing, we're just going to do a quick catch-up on uh, updates from previous episodes. Uh, Andrew, you had some final thoughts on Spiritfarer.
0: Yeah, I finished it in the past couple of weeks, and I predicted in my introductory episode on this that I might come down on it for its length and actually not so much. I finished it about 25 hour mark and I found my main obstacle in terms of length was not that I thought it was too long but that I actually didn't want to stop playing a lot of the time. Uh, I would... (laughs) have another goal that I wanted to accomplish and then I would look at the clock and I'd be like oh I need to get to work or I need to get to sleep and I just I would just want to keep playing it's just that kind of game that really sucks you into its uh, into its gameplay loop but the problem that I did have in terms of length was it didn't feel terribly well paced as uh, you do play as the spiritfarer and to finish the game you have to explore this sea that represents the afterlife and find these spirits that are ready to pass on into what comes after this kind of like limbo state that they all live in and carting them around the sea on my boat i had about five spirits at one point and there are only 12 spirits total in the game so i had almost half the cast just hanging out on my boat at one point and there's wasn't much I could do to progress it I was really bottlenecked on this one goal that I couldn't figure out how to activate and finally I got it activated and like literally in in less than an hour I just started sending spirits off one right after the other and then the game ended like uh, there's a lot of things to explore and there's like collectibles you can gather uh, to earn rewards that give the game some life after you've done all the spirits but you do reach a point where after you've passed on a certain number of them that you can choose to see the ending and see the credits. And then when you boot the game up again, it'll just put you right back where you left off so you can keep exploring. Um, And that just happened very suddenly because of that bottleneck I ran into. And then suddenly on the other side of it, everything opened up again, (laughs) including the ending. It was very abrupt. That That was really my only criticism with the game. Okay. So, yeah, just inconsistent pacing, but uh, a lovely concept, it
1: seems. Um, I was pleased to see that you said it was a lot shorter than other people were saying.
0: It was a brand new game, so the How Long to Beat rating on it was obviously going to be skewed. Yeah, it Mm -hmm. it said 40 hours, I guess, when it launched. Uh, I didn't complete it, obviously, so that's 40 hours, I think, looking at what I had left to do, sounds about right. Uh, Mm -hmm. But... I beat it beat it in 25 hours and if not for that that bottleneck I ran into and how long it took me to figure out find the one thing I needed to do that let me get past it I could have done it in 20 hours. So it's a it's a pretty long game for an indie game actually which are usually like Andy and I often praise indie games cuz like I beat it in 3 hours. It was great. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> as far as indie games go it's pretty long but It wasn't as long as initially reported. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So I finished uh, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey.
1: Uh, So I said in the last recording that the game's puzzling gets a bit more interesting when Abe and Munch are united. Uh, Unfortunately, they seem to have run out of ideas on how to use their abilities in interesting ways, like three to four levels later. And you sort of just run through this cycle of two styles of level. uh, Big outdoor levels that drag the pacing to a halt and sees the pair acting independently for most part like there were ones where i i didn't even have to use munch until right near the end uh which is just really uninteresting um and then smaller more puzzle focused areas that are much better but they just reuse ideas continually uh the few attempts where they try something different uh like there's one where you have to drink the espresso power up and like run quickly through a of gunfire and explosive boxes they're just not fun at all. it's just frustrating I don't know, I think I mentioned last time about how it's apparent everything in the world is designed around the player's path rather than creating like a believable environment you know it's called odd world uh that gets way worse the further you delve in terms of the puzzles uh, it's a shame 'cause like everything else about the odd world series is so fun and full of character and uh, it just it's a, it's a big shame to see it fall down in, in that area. Uh, I'm glad I've played it, definitely the weakest of the series. I probably wouldn't play this again, whereas I, I'd definitely play the others again. Okay, it's time to talk about what we've been playing in this last week. Uh, Andrew, we're going to start with you. You've been playing *Aria in the Secret of
0: Seasons. Yeah, we got a code from the publisher for this game and I was pretty excited when I read about the premise. Ari in the Secret of Seasons is a 3D action adventure game. It's very much in the style of classic Legend of Zelda where you explore a countryside to solve the various dilemmas going on affecting the people and the government that rules there and you go into dungeons and you solve puzzles and you get upgrades for your characters there's 3d sword fighting against mutant monsters you know the kind of stuff that i really enjoy in games uh and it's got this really appealing kind of 90s cartoon tone to it like uh, it may even be partially inspired by avatar the last airbender because you know it's set in an east asian fantasy setting and it's about people who control the elements uh, but I've never actually watched Avatar so I, I don't know if that comparison actually tracks but it definitely felt very much with with the tone of the characters and some of the plots that happened it reminded me a lot of some of the better 90s cartoons that I watched when I was a kid um, what it's about is there's this girl named Ari who is the daughter of one of the Guardians of the Seasons I think is their title And she's the daughter of the Guardian of Winter, who obviously can control the elements of Winter. Uh, Her older brother, the Guardian's son, is training to replace his father as the Guardian, but he's recently gone missing and is presumed dead. So the Guardian of Winter has gone into this deep depression. And Ari, who's a young girl, wants to step up uh, to become a guardian as well but is forbidden from doing so because she's a girl uh, 90s cartoons right here <laughs> hmm. mulan just came out have you seen mulan was it any good uh <laughs> yeah but she rebels and she cuts her hair and she puts on her brother's uniform and steals her father's guardian sphere and goes out to solve the problems in the land because right now there are these giant gems that are crashing into the different areas of the of the countryside and are messing with the seasons there because like ari lives in the guardian of winter's area so it's supposed to be winter there but right now it's summer So starting with just the guardian winter powers, Ari goes out and she starts accumulating the other orbs so she can eventually control all four seasons, which make different things happen. Like in winter, there are ice blocks she can jump on. Uh, In summer, these thorns start growing everywhere and some enemies have thorn armor, so you can't actually hurt them unless you change to the right season, so their thorn armor withers away. There's a lot of really cool ideas of what's done with the seasons. And there's side quests you can do, like some kids want you to play hide-and-seek. Did I mention The Legend of Zelda? And uh, (laughs) uh, there's some money that you can earn. You can buy different equipment. A lot of it's cosmetic, but some of it is actually better equipment. And it was just... Something that I really wanted to like, because it's the kind of game that I do really like when it's executed well. The problem is, Ari in The Secret of Seasons is not executed well. <laughs> There's a severe lack of polish, like the the platforming, I really struggled with a lot of it. It's not precise, it's difficult to get Ari to land where I want her to land, and a lot of the platforms are pretty narrow, and it took a lot of retrying to get to some of the trickier places I wanted to jump to and so the hitboxes aren't great either there's a lot of invisible walls blocking things that look like should be places you can go and also those thorns I mentioned you can get rid of them with the winter sphere but the winter sphere is not terribly large in its area of effect and I kept getting hit by thorns that were supposed to be disappeared but weren't quite disappeared enough uh and on top of all of this uh, the switch port is pretty dire <laughs> mm. there are constant frame rate drops especially in areas where there's a lot of different things happening with the different seasons like uh, it really struggles when you're in areas where there's ice blocks hidden uh, if you're in like the summer season and there's an ice block in the area, it, the screen will get blurry, which is already a really ugly effect. Then you activate your winter sphere and an ice block appears and the frame rate plummets it's pretty bad and this could very well be true on other platforms as well, but these are things I'm sure are specific to the switch version. Uh, The draw distance is really bad, too. Most of the time, I could barely see more than a few feet in front of Ari. and, like, right at the start, you talk to this man near a waterfall, and the waterfalls are unfrozen from where they usually are, which reveals a temple behind them, which is the first dungeon that you explore. And the man is looking at these waterfalls, and he says, It's quite the sight these waterfalls are usually frozen over and i even shared (laughs) i shared a picture on twitter of what this looks like on the switch version he's staring at nothing describing the beautiful waterfalls (laughs) it's
1: Uh, i saw this screenshot and it looked like a half developed
0: yeah I, i this is the moment where like the developers should have immediately said if we can't do this thing in the first 10 minutes of the game we need to just kill the switch port right away yet here it is released, and it's like 40 bucks. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. And then finally, I I, I I wanted to like this game so much that I persevered for like 10 hours, and I got into this dungeon, and I did the dungeon, and then I tried to leave the dungeon, and I am now trapped inside this dungeon because I cannot leave without the game crashing. And that was when I just, <laughs> I just quit. Uh, this is a game that I could really like. It, it might even be a decent game on PlayStation 4 on switch it's a terrible port like maybe someday it'll get some support to make it so i can actually finish it but it's still gonna have those draw distance problems it's still gonna have a bad frame rate this is not a good switch port it's a shame okay uh, i'll go next Uh, so i I
1: played and finished oddworld strangers rough Uh, so this is a another entry in Uh, Oddworld Inhabitants, Oddworld series, Uh, and this one uh, it is set in a western themed area of the Oddworld and you play the Stranger, a mysterious bounty hunter that needs to make 20,000 moolah for a mystery operation that he desperately wants. To raise the money he takes on uh, bounty jobs to capture or assassinate boss figures in the world, uh, or rescue some characters in some instances. Um, and how that plays out is through a mix of 3D platforming and adventuring and first-person shooting, interestingly. With it being that mix of genres, you can actually switch your perspective at any time. It's smooth as anything, you just click the right analogue stick and it's pretty seamless. It can be disorientating if uh, you're in the middle of a firefight and you need to suddenly jump into first-person because your camera might be pointing a different way when you're in third-person, but then it switches it around when you when you go to 1st Uh, But, you know, you sort of get used to that pretty quickly. The platformy elements, the the jumping is very, very heavy and floaty at the same time. It's a weird combo. Uh, But it's designed that way to make the double jumps less frustrating, from what I can tell. Um, But but both aspects work pretty well. But I think most people spend the majority of their time in the the first-person viewpoint. So the Stranger's uh, key weapon is his arm-mounted crossbow uh, that can fire live ammo, and when I say live I mean it's animals that you capture and hunt around the world, Uh, so you can have two ammo types at one time, Uh, you press the left and right d-pad to change your ammo, it pauses the game, you can go through the list, it's like really nicely done and really accessible, and doesn't ruin the flow of your game at all. There's like plenty of different arrow types. There's like a, a squirrel thing that makes noise to lure enemies away from the packs. There's the Bollomite, which is like a spider-like thing that can web up foes temporarily. There's bees, which are like your machine gunfire. Uh, and the main one you'll use is the zapflies, which are uh, unlimited ammo. Uh, they do electric charges, or just as a weak bullet, uh, and use the the electric charges for puzzles like power up machinery and all that kind of stuff the zap flies are also how you hunt the other uh, ammo types so you'll be moving through the world on your way to a mission and there'll be like two nests and the creatures will be moving between them and you just need to zap them and walk into them to pick them up Uh, it sounds like it would get frustrating but that sort of becomes a lot easier the more you play all this ammo has different side effects some will tear down enemy health some are focused on tearing down their stamina which plays into the bounty element so when you get a bounty Uh, You want to take out every bad guy between where you start and where the boss is. If you capture someone alive, you get more money when you go to cash in your bounty. If they're dead, you get half the money. And you can actually bounty every enemy that you find on the way to the boss. If you're planning on taking them back alive, you want to hit their stamina first and foremost, you can get their stamina to go down easier if you get their health down a little bit. So there's there's all this like puzzle element to play with, with, with the ammo. Uh if they die and you don't get to bounty them in time, they'll they'll leave money on the floor, but again, not as much. So you get a sense as you play that certain bounties are centered around specific ammo combos, which gives each uh you know, each made you know key bounty uh, uh, that puzzle element, um, and each arena that you fight the boss in is different every time. So, like, there's one that I'm thinking of in particular where it's like a meat processing plant. It has big grinders all over the floor, uh, and I completed that one by accidentally knocking the main bad guy into one of the meat grinders. Ooh. So I didn't get much bounty for that one. Free <laughs> sausages, um, though. Yeah. Uh, another one sorry another part of that same arena it had like a big platform where you could lure enemies into using the uh, like the scroll ammo and then you could knock out the platform underneath them to knock them onto spikes. that was a cool one. Um, so it almost feels like a really primitive Bioshock in terms of uh, how you can chain together the ammo types and uh, play around with them and, and come up with some cool combos. Uh, the other thing you can do is instead of getting like health packs or auto-regenerating uh, health, you can actually shake off your injuries. But you need stamina, and uh, that builds up slowly over time, so you can't like overuse it to just keep healing yourself all the time. So you go, you do a bounty, uh, you come back to town, you spend all your hard-earned mula in each town on upgrades, so you can carry more ammo, you can increase your armor, get quicker regenerating stamina, that sort of thing. The problem I had with that at first is that um, when I first played it through on Vita, my understanding was that The Stranger's goal was to earn 20,000 moolah, and every time I wanted to buy upgrades it would completely wipe out the money I'd earn in the bounty regardless of whether I brought them in dead or alive. That made me stressed as hell about spending the cash. Um, And it also made me extra stressy when I accidentally killed enemies instead of uh, capturing them. My advice, as someone who's played it before and then came into this one with a completely different attitude, don't worry about it. You'll have more than enough money to buy upgrades, regardless of how you tackle each enemy, and what is in the stranger's wallet does not affect the story or his goal at all. If you're struggling with a, a key bounty and it's easy to kill them, just do it. Just have fun experimenting with the combat system because that's that's where I derive most of my joy. Uh, and the reason for that is two thirds of the way in the game, changes somewhat. Uh, it completely changes focus. It works incredibly well. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. The the bounty system evolves into something else useful. Um, and this is where it really differed from like Munch's Odyssey, which. You know that game felt like it was three or four missions too long, and the puzzling quickly outstayed its welcome. Stranger's Wrath—it's a different genre, but it continually feels refreshing, uh, and it's continually empowering you. Just when you you sort of need that boost to get through like the next section of the game, um, it's incredibly well paced. Uh, I will say there is not the end boss fight, which is really easy, but the, there's like a penultimate little mini boss fight, which is. Very very frustrating. Um, I remembered that from the first time I played it. I was like, oh no, not this! But uh, aside from that, uh, it's just a joy to play. It, it has aged a little bit. It does show its age, uh, but I think I think it still holds up pretty well. Uh, and I think I'd be happy to play it again. I, I would I would love to see them give this like a, a full remake as they have with some of the other Oddworld games. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend this one. Uh, it's a good FPS. Andrew, you've played Assassin's Creed Liberation, uh, one of my personal favorites, and just from looking at your bullet points, I think you've come away with some of the same negatives that I did.
0: Yeah, I had some free time a couple weeks back because Aria and the Secret of Seasons was unplayable, so I I went in and played Assassin's Creed Liberation instead, which uh, was a Vita exclusive for a while. Mm -hmm. Because it was the Vita, it was basically a bite-sized version of Uh, the games they were making on the PlayStation 4 at the time, and that was to its strength, actually, because uh, they had to really scale back on their ambitions. There's really only two areas in this game, and neither of them are all that large, and they don't have as many things in them, so the bloat that the Assassin's Creed series can suffer from is severely lessened here, and if you've played an Assassin's Creed game, then you already know exactly what to expect from this game, but basically you go around sneaking up on people and stabbing them. that That's thats the bulk of the gameplay, uh, that and gathering collectibles from a map. that That's an Assassin's Creed game in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Liberation is about Aveline, who is a black woman living in Louisiana just before the American Revolution. Uh, she's involved in trying to help free the enslaved people in the area who were predominantly African at the time and that's kind of where the story picks up but one of the main things I was disappointed by was despite the name of the game and the black woman on the box, you don't really spend much time doing that (laughs) which disappointed me, that was Mm the main thing I wanted to do was, was that part of the story and like it's there and it's part of her motivation for why she gets up to the things she gets up to but really most of the game is you know just dealing with templar nonsense like in every other assassin's creed game and aveline's main ability is she can change into three different outfits that change how the enemies on the map will react to her i was disappointed that The first playable woman in the Assassin's Creed series and her main ability is changing clothes. (laughs) It's more thoughtful than that, but that's kind of how it comes across on paper. I was happy with the way they executed it because I did find all three of them to be kind of interesting ways of looking at this character and kind of deconstructing the way that people looked at how women were back then the way they appeared like uh when you're dressed up in her lady persona uh the men will try to hit on her but if you dressed her up as, as a slave they will pay her no attention that's why her slave persona is kind of her stealth the best for stealth because if you dress up as a slave and start carrying a box around people pay you no <laughs> notice at all so she can basically get anywhere she wants to just by carrying a box uh, I thought that was a, an interesting statement about the mindset of white people back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but still, you know, woman changing clothes, that's uh, that's a problem. And the plot doesn't really make sense. Uh, I, I can't really get into it too much without spoiling the entire plot, but there's this line, like, literally at the end of the game where uh, the... Main boss says, well, "I I needed you, Aveline. I had to keep you alive because only you could do this." And I was like, "There is absolutely nothing in this plot that says that only Aveline could do this. Aveline is just the one who happened to do it." So, yeah, it, it <laughs> was a uh, the plot wasn't great, but I still enjoyed it because like I, I enjoy the Assassin's Creed games. I can just be overwhelmed by how big they are, and I can get kind of bored. With them in in some of the longer ones I didn't get bored with this one because it ended uh, (laughs) it was only about 10 hours long and uh, I enjoyed my time with it and this is packed in with the Assassin's Creed 3 remastered on Switch and I think it's actually the part of the package I enjoyed the most in spite of my, my slight misgivings with it but every Assassin's Creed game is flawed in some way and very few of my complaints about flaws in this actually refer to the gameplay; just just to the story. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I was exactly the same. Whereas, just like the story didn't deliver what it promised,
0: um, and just
1: sort of devolved into the Templar stuff, and then yeah, but the gameplay was like so stripped back that it was a huge like breath of fresh air after like Assassin's Creed Three. It was just like ah. Oh,
0: yeah, like this. like the stealth sequences, like. They were pretty easy and I'm not complaining about that because a lot of the times in the Assassin's Creed games, the reason the stealth sequences are hard is because the environments are so detailed that this really intricate movement system they've devised in in the older Assassin's Creed games would get hung up on things. It's like, why are you standing on that box? Mm -hmm. That's not what I told you to do. And then you would fail. (laughs) Now, simpler environment. No stupid box for me to get stuck on. I didn't fail the stealth missions. I enjoyed that. Okay, uh, next up, Tori, you've uh, finally got around to checking out Cadence of Hyrule.
2: Finally, yes. Uh, I did buy it as soon as it came out, played a little bit, went, oh no, and left it for way too long. And by oh no, I don't mean it's a bad game. It's just, it's a game that kind of requires your full attention. I'm guessing you guys have already played and covered it on the show.
1: Yes, and loved it. So, and loved it so I'll be fall careful in line. <laughs> fall in line
2: Tread
0: lightly <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm going to be honest from start to finish but as a refresher it's basically a open world version of their Crypt of the ne- is it Crypt of the Necro Dancer?
3: Mm-hmm. Um
2: yeah. it's a rhythm based roguelike dungeon crawler but yep. the biggest Uh, inspiration that they've drawn from Legend of Zelda is that there's a big overworld inspired by the original Zelda and possibly more A Link to the Past, especially in art style. Uh, So you have to move to the time of the music, all the enemies kind of do the same, there's an option to turn it off, but for the most part, they move to the music, they have their own little patterns and attack um, directions, I suppose. Some of them will attack diagonally, some of them will just charge right at you, some of them kind of just mimic your behaviour and just kind of hop from square to square. So it's up to you to figure out the best way to kill everything without being killed. And another Zelda thing that they've brought over that's kind of a concession in this one is just a larger health bar, because Crypt of the Necrodancer, you'll just... If you mess up once or twice, you're pretty much dead. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's like a Zelda game. You can expand your health bar through, you know, pieces of heart or just outright buying heart containers. That was a huge help for me in this one because Crypt of the NecroDance was just way too hard for me. And I'm a drummer, so it's not the rhythm. It's the thinking on your feet. Because <laughs> the world doesn't stop for you. <laughs> no. No. In a way you kind of like every move is kind of on a time limit And it's that continuous thinking that kind of keeps you on your toes Any other Zelda top down you walk into a screen You can kind of assess the situation But you don't have to do anything while you're doing that Whereas this one it's kind of encouraging you to kind of move and jump straight into it And if you stall you actually kind of lose a little bit of your momentum And I think I think you get an attack bonus depending on what sort of equipment you have, if you stick to the beat every beat. Anyway, that, that's the general gist of the game, um, overworld, you still have dungeons. So I found out that the overworld is actually procedurally generated. So everyone's going to have a different overworld, as well as the dungeons. The dungeons are also procedurally generated, but when you die in a dungeon, it's kind of its own little mini segment of the game. It's interesting how that happens. Because the overall game, typically in a game like this, it's about just getting as far as you can each time you die. But this is, it's got a lot more concessions in that there's stuff that carries over between deaths. Some resources, like the diamonds that you get for clearing a screen and just finding random ones. Every time you die, you got a shop that you can go to, to kind of start a new run, on like with a leg up, instead of finding these, this equipment on the field. But uh, you also got rupees, and rupees I think are a lot more valuable in the dungeons than they are in the overworld. Because rupees reset every time that you die. So the more rupees you get, you find these shops I think there are some shops in the overworld but they're mostly in the dungeons. It encourages you to have a really good run, it kind of rewards you to have a, a good run without dying basically because there were so many times where I had two or three hundred rupees and I died before I even got to a shop and it hurt. My biggest problem with it is typically in a roguelite the, the dying, it's hard to get over that fact that dying is a part of the process. Because dying just feels like failure. And even though it's a small setback in this, especially in Cadence of Hyrule, it's still... If you're a perfectionist sort of personality type, it's really hard to get over that. And it can be really frustrating. I'm the sort of person that when I get frustrated in the game, I just kind of start going really hard against the game. I'll take as much damage as I can just to try and get get over it as quickly as possible. And that doesn't work in this game. It's not very forgiving in that regard. And that, and that's not on the game so much as it is on me. Because y- y- you do have to kind of retrain how you play games and appreciate games. I, I don't know if you guys have more experience with roguelikes, but for me, this was kind of like the first time I really dove deep into one i see the appeal but that getting over that fear of failure is is the biggest reason why i had trouble with this game and once i got over it i started having fun with it
1: yeah uh you have just got to get used to that whole death thing and just use use it to learn from it uh in most good roguelikes you know you you learn a lesson about something you could have done better or a better strategy or so yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It did take me a while to get used to uh, roguelikes as a genre.
2: Yeah, it, it, this is probably one of the better roguelikes to like start with, mm. but you really do have to train yourself to be okay with dying. If you die, it's okay, because you've probably learned something.
0: Yeah, like Cadence of Hyrule, as far as roguelites go, it's sort of a light roguelite, because... Mm-hmm. You do lose things when you die, but it's not a permanent setback, and, and the state of your game world stays mostly the same, except in, in the dungeons you do have to finish each part of the dungeon in, in one go, but that's still not that hard because you, you keep your pickups, which is a big thing in roguelites. Usually when you die, you lose everything you were carrying, and you have to start from scratch. Um, and Cadence of Hyrule mostly exempts you from that. Mostly, but yeah. yeah, like,
2: like Your equipment will the thing is even if you do have equipment it it can break as durability so you're finding new stuff all the time anyway it's just kind of going from having nothing to something rather than from something to something else mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it, it it's just it's got its own sort of i guess cadence to it <laughs> <laughs> where you just have to get used to the fact that you're you as a player are also leveling up with the character in the game um Mm -hmm. you learn more about the world and how to to overcome it and that's also reflected with your character also you know getting more hearts or getting more equipment because so a lot of the items in the game are based on you know zelda tropes Mm -hmm. so like your flippers and uh different shields there's a lot of uh, Zelda items in there like the bombs and boomerangs and stuff like that that stays with you but then you're on the field equipment like your boots and your armor and your shovel because yeah you, you'd have to dig in some dungeons that's you're always constantly looking for something new because sometimes you'll get like a shovel that doesn't really fit your needs for that moment so there have been times where I had like a perfectly good shovel But the, there was a better one that I wanted And when I found it I took that instead
1: The, the thing I really liked about this game was how they crossed the genre with the, the series It was taking off really well yeah. Pretty much uh, as well as uh, Hyrule Warriors does actually Yeah, which um, I'll be
2: talking about next time <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: that that was my main takeaway that was, that was what I really, really enjoyed about it
2: Yeah, um, well it's a perfect blend of the two Cause Zelda's you consider I suppose some people would consider an adventure game, some an RPG. Mm-hmm. But it has its own flavour to it, and so does Kate yeah. um Crypto the Necrodancer, and it combines both flavors to make something unique but also familiar. Mm-hmm. Um and it, that's also perfectly reflected in the music, which you know, I can't not talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I played with the Danny Baranowski soundtrack, um, Mm -hmm. who people might know as the super meat boy composer, the region, Mm -hmm. original one. I don't know if it's just in the last update where they added different music packs with like family jewels and the like. I haven't looked too much into that yet. I'll probably, if I play through it again, pick a different soundtrack, but the, the Danny B soundtrack kind of adds, it's got the emphasized beats to really. Help you nail down without having to look At the beat bar at the bottom Where the the beats are to move to mm-hmm. And it also sounds great <laughs>
1: Nice
2: So yeah, I recommend it Just go in with that mindset that you're going to die A lot <laughs>
1: Just like real life yeah. No Andrew You've been playing Fight Crab, Which <laughs> sounds amazing Just
0: on its name alone yeah, Fight Crab is a physics fighter where crabs fight. That's the oh, game. <laughs> um. it, it's very much in the vein of you know ridiculous physics games like Surgeon Simulator and, and Goat Simulator where mm-hmm. a lot of the appeal is on how wonky the game is to play and how even if you're really good at it, it's still not going to go quite the way you're trying to do it. You pick a crab and you try to fight another crab on a bunch of different stages. Like the first one is just in in a little a rock pool you would find at any beach and then there are stages set like in a mid- medieval castle and another stage is a table in a Chinese restaurant. So there's <laughs> a, there's a variety of different environments that make sense in the context of the game and completely do not and it just it revels in its absurdism. You control your crab's arms individually with each of the left and right joysticks. You can move them all around in 360 degrees. If you move the joystick up, the crab will move its arms up, sitting down, and left and right. And if you press the trigger buttons, then it'll... It, the game calls it punching, but I, I'm really... I'm not sure exactly how to describe what the crabs are actually doing with their claws. They're, they're attacking with their claws when you press that. And you can use the bumpers as well to pinch. where the crab will either grab something in the environment or it'll actually grab the enemy crab's limbs and try to tear them off, which is... Really satisfying to do, but it's also really hard to pull off because there's like a (laughs) tiny little window where you can do it. And usually, by the time I press the button with my terrible reaction time, I've already completely missed my chance to do it. Now, the crabs, you can move them with the D pad, and this is where the game gets really awkward to control because it's a set it and forget it type of movement. Like if I press right, the crab will start moving to the right and it will keep moving to the right until I press another direction where it will then stop uh, <laughs> so a lot of the game is literally pointing your crab in the direction of an enemy and just charging at them flailing buttons and joysticks um, trying to hit them and you can equip your crab with weapons there are fairly standard weapons like swords and axes and pull arms and then you get two guns like revolvers and lightsabers and drills and Poseidon's trident that fires beams of hot water and <laughs> just the absurdity of the game is its main selling point. The best moment in the game is when the match first starts and you're looking at all the crabs because there can be up to four crabs in each fight and you're all running at each other with your various ridiculous weapons equipped and there are like a good dozen different species of crabs you can play as that all come in (laughs) different shapes and sizes and when you're running at each other it's hilarious and then... When they get to each other, it's just this mess of sound effects and flailing buttons, and yeah. uh, (laughs) It's good for a laugh, but as, like, a fighter, it doesn't feel like it has the technical aspects to it to last in the long term. Like, I, I played it long enough to beat the main campaign and unlock everything that I could use, but then I also have to keep playing the game to get the currency to buy the things after I've unlocked them. Uh, so I, I didn't get to experience all the toys, but I got to look at them, at least. <laughs> and there's some pretty funny stuff. But I, I, I think once you're done laughing, you're done enjoying the game, because there's not mm-hmm. much there past its premise.
1: So it probably won't be appearing at an Evo at any time soon. Well, I guess Evo's not appearing at Evo anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I, it could yeah. as
0: a joke, but <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, uh, next up, uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars uh, launched this week. Andrew, I believe yours is still wearing the vanishing cap and hasn't arrived yet.
0: Well, we've had a week <laughs> where I live, <laughs> uh, so my package has understandably been delayed, and I've already played mm. all three of these games several times, so I'm not that fussed about it. But no, I, I haven't received it yet.
1: Cool. <laughs> Um, so I've, I've started all three, uh, but I'm only really going to focus on Mario 64 in the next you know to play in the, in the next week. Um, so we'll just quickly go and just give a quick overview of each game. So Mario 64 was the series' first steps into the 3D realm. Um, with that, uh, there are some age specific things. Uh, the, the camera is something that you learn to fight rather than it being intuitive. Not uh, true. In, it is true because it was all based on a single. The game was played on a single analog stick. They had. It didn't have modern style controllers. I'm not saying it caused me problems. I'm just saying it's bad. Uh, but not it was true. also bad. It is. It is. Uh, and it was also bad at a time when all 3D cameras was bad. So I can. I can forgive that. Not true. It is true. Don't make me pick a side. Uh, again, there was no right-and-all stick on N64 games, so there was no way to do like a proper free camera. Bender Kazooie Nintendo did 64 game. Are you going to let me say the line that you just literally interrupted where I explained that? Later Nintendo 64 games did it better. Way better. Uh, yeah, Sorry, the, the camera, Andrew, is like, I'm like, hey, I'd like to look over there. And the camera's like, I'd like it if you respected my creative process. It's uh, done in, like, a a stepped manner. Uh, It was button presses on the original N64. It was, like, face buttons, so I can forgive it. Uh, It's something that I I feel like it's at its worst in that first level as well, which is the the one where, you know, the game makes its first impression. But, you know, I've played this game plenty of times. I, I know my way around it and how it works. That doesn't prevent it from being a terrible camera. Categorically Not true. What the game was originally was a terrific Case for the analog stick that the N64 introduced No more need for a run button, just fully Press the stick, sneak by Pressing it lightly, all stuff that we take for granted uh, They Layer this stuff in really well In the first couple of levels To sort of show you the power of That for 3D games This is really the, the blueprint For most of the 3D Mario games as we know them, uh, in terms of having a hub world, in terms of you know going into a wide open arena with lots of objectives that you can tackle one after the other to get uh, stars to, to progress through the, the campaign. One of the things I had forgotten about was how all the interesting power ups are like really obscurely hidden. Uh, they hinted it in signposts, but uh, for example, like the flying cap, which is on the box. You can't get that until you catch 10 stars and look into the light in the castle foyer. Then you have to play a level that, uh, where you stand on the switch that unlocks it forevermore. Like, that's not particularly a new concept, but, uh, it's, uh, interesting that they hide the really, really, really fun stuff behind, uh, these, uh, systems. That's as far as I've got to at the moment. Um, I, I love how, uh, you know, each level, has these objective you know like six objectives six styles to get in each level you just keep jumping back in and you do something different some of them completely you know change, change the makeup of the the level by you know moving characters around or setting up different uh, threats uh, so yeah Andrew you, you you've said before this is the, uh, the gem of the package
0: <laughs> well especially since the, the limitations of the emulation we, we've since got the full details of that as far as the, mm. they work in sunshine and galaxy i think super mario 64 is the least compromised of these three ports which is also I agree a, with a it. mark in its favor
1: yeah we'll we'll get into how the the emulation manages some of the uh system characteristics uh soon but yeah i, I would go along this is the purest uh carryover yeah, it's been ages since I've played it. I've, I've beat it twice. I played it originally on N64 back in the day. I've played it on 3DS, which, you know, had some little change-ups here and there. I, I don't know what I think of it, I definitely prefer the N64 version. Um, probably just the purest thing. But yeah, just as, as an important step for the blueprints for all the, the 3D Mario games, it's, it, it was a delight, and like, at the time it was completely groundbreaking. Uh, Tori, have you played this one before?
2: Yeah, um, so I didn't have an N64 during the time that they were a a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't get mine until like a couple months before I got my first Xbox, so that's the time frame. But (laughs) this was one of the games that I had on it, and I managed to get 119 stars, completely stumped on the last one. (laughs) Um, But I also played the DS um, remake port, whatever you Mm want to call it. I personally liked that one a little bit, more, but I understand. Not it wasn't for everyone. But uh, the the more updated modern art style of that one, I I wish would have been consolidated into this somehow. But you know, purist. I yeah. It.
1: Um, my progress so far: I've got uh 27 stars, and I've just unlocked all the the power ups. Found all the switches. Um, so now I'm just going to go through uh, all these early areas and just make sure I've got all the stars in in each. So. Yeah, where, where did you get up to?
2: Uh, I'm just I just did the first Bowser uh, fight. Mm. Had a lot of trouble with it.
1: <laughs> That's a fun one.
2: Yeah, it's just hard to manage with the camera, like lining it up and hitting the button or letting go of the button, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, sorry, sorry. What was that? The camera. It, it um,
2: zooms in so much when you're swinging Bowser. Can you zoom it back out again? Y-
1: yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 just faffy because of the way it's stepped, and because you know it's uh, 2020, your brain wants to use the right analog stick as a as a know, traditional swinging free camera. Yeah, and yeah that, that that that's where the disconnect comes. Yeah. Um, my thoughts about the camera aren't new, by the way. Uh, I, I thought that since the original.
0: Look, all you need to do is just commit the game to touch memory like I did, and then it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Become a Tazbot. So Mario 64, uh, it's a good game,
1: and it's you know historically important. I, I, I think this is... I, I agree it's the key one on the package for that. Uh, that It's not a key one in the, the element of... The other two I haven't really played much of, so they're my my chance to put that right uh, the next one in the package is Super Mario Sunshine uh, where Mario and the gang go for a holiday on Delfino Island uh, and Mario gets wrongly imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit in something that sounds like a uh, an 80s action movie plot uh, and he's committed to public service <laughs> to, to pay for his crime he's got to clean up the ink of the imposter Mario who's made out of water Previously, I've never played more than an hour of this. Uh, I'm up to eight stars, I think. Um, I know we're on the Switch, but it's definitely prettier than I remember. Uh, though it's got, like, because it's meant to be yeah. sunshine, it's got the heat wave visual effects, which feel really disorientating at first. But the art, when you get up and close to the environment, has like this really nice like watercolor effect. So mm. it, it's a bit mixed from that perspective.
0: Okay. I think even to the end of the GameCube's life this was one of the best-looking games on it.
1: Mhm. Yeah. It was just that heat visuals like it's it's a distance thing, but it's like really really at, evident.
2: At a lower resolution you wouldn't notice it nearly as much.
1: Yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah. Um, so while I'm complaining about cameras for some reason Nintendo saw fit to remove the invert option, which the original had and I think it might have even defaulted to that from what I've seen people say initially I thought oh well that's me unable to play sunshine then um but since giving it a go it's not going to be as big a problem as I thought because uh, when you're running through a world the camera is far enough back that you only really need to swing left and right um it's been rare that I've had to adjust the up and down camera which is where that's going to cause me the most issues um and when you're doing a focused aim, which is where it zooms in behind Mario's back and has like, more traditional shooting controls, the aim for that is mapped to the left stick, so something about how my preference for inversion is programmed into my brain also comes through in my right thumb, so I'm finding it easier to adjust for the lack of inversion, because it's on the left side.
2: Yeah. I did that which too. The first time I did that, I'm like, why isn't the camera
1: moving? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's not as bad as I thought I'm just worried about if if I get to more like uh, faffy bosses and I need to be able to flick in a pinch then I might suffer because uh, I can't change that yes yeah, so I'm I'm absolutely further in it now than I ever have been uh, I'd already had this uh, worry about um, much of it was just going to be about walking through a level and removing all the paint and that idea felt tedious but luckily
0: it is not that at all (laughs) i remember when this game came out having to tell so many people that no this is not a game about mario cleaning up graffiti which was a problem (laughs) because that's how this game was marketed (laughs) yeah
2: the reverse splatoon
1: yeah so far i like it um i know it's a lot of people's least favorite Of the 3D Mario games. Um, I think I'm going to be, with that in mind, I think I'm going to be okay if it's just, you know, okay.
0: Uh, It's also weirdly one of the hardest Mario games.
1: Oh, okay. Especially if
0: you're going for 100% completion. Like, uh, this is a game that's built all around water, right? Mm -hmm. There are several shines you can only get with Yoshi. And in this game, built entirely around water, Yoshi dissolves in water. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's so sad
0: Have fun
1: <laughs> Be good if you don't like Yoshi very much
2: People like that don't exist mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had a lot of trouble Playing this on my like, like Original hardware Gamecube I got up to the first There are some levels that Take Flood away from you
3: mm-hmm.
2: And it teaches It re- gets you to rely on Flood So much that I would appreciate That challenge
1: but should say what flood is oh yeah um so F- flood is the sentient water filled backpack that Mario gets in this game to clear up the clean up the graffiti uh, and allows you to spray water on things and use it as a little mini jetpack
2: yeah and then it takes it away from you for some levels and it's just very frustrating and it's still in that era of Mario where it's very lives based mm mhm So it it gets to a point where you just get too Well, me at least, get
0: too anxious (laughs) Wait till you get to the one that is Mario is the ball in a pachinko machine And you can die on that level Have fun (laughs) Yeah, I've heard I think I've played that one actually Yeah, Yeah, that's where I bounced off it Yeah, like weirdly Like I said, weirdly The hardest Mario game, I think you could say (laughs) Oh, that's strange um, just thinking back
1: to Mario 64, there's uh, the hidden levels where you unlock the the power-ups. You, if you die in those, you don't actually lose a life. And uh, one of them where you get the uh, invisibility power-up, you can just keep replaying it to farm the two stars that are at the beginning. There's a little tip for you. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think if you die and lose all your lives, you just start back at your last save where you might have lots of lives memory sketchy on that one i i don't remember dying in it a whole
0: lot well i'm not going to describe the whole thing but uh actually the best place to get lives I, th- I think the level's name is lethal lava land it's the first level in the basement where the bullies are at uh, there's mm-hmm. there's videos Ooh. on youtube you can watch where you can ride the turtle shell in that level in a big loop around the level and you can get like eight lives every visit i think something like that <laughs> that's the best place to get extra lives
1: Not oh, nice that's it for sunshine we'll we'll come back more into that once we've all played it a bit more it'll be interesting to see if Tori gets stuck at the same part <laughs> count on it um I'll, i'm looking forward to find out if i get stuck at the same part okay uh, super mario galaxy uh, possibly the only super mario subseries i've never played uh, i only picked up a copy for wii recently uh, found it at a good price in a secondhand store a lot of confusion about how you play Super Mario Galaxy on the Switch. So you can play it with a Pro Controller. Gyro controls uh, that replicate the uh, Wii's remote controls, which uses infrared, of course. Um, so you actually angle the controller to move the cursor around the screen. Uh, in the gameplay terms, that means you use the cursor to collect star bits uh, using that cursor. Uh, and this seems like a good compromise to to get that functionality in Uh, and you can also use the touchscreen for that purpose if you're playing
0: handheld how do you do the waggle like spin attack thing with the pro Uh, controller there's two options
1: yes so they've mapped it to y -hmm. so you can press a button uh, or you can waggle the controller okay so i've just been defaulting to the button press because i hadn't even considered that wasn't a button press.
2: The, um, <laughs> doing it the waggle way actually feels quite unresponsive for some reason on this. And I don't uh, know if I it always, a... always was unresponsive. It's just.
1: I tried, tried it, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, it's I just didn't feel it was.
2: Like actually playing and trying to attack enemies with the waggle. It just felt. Because you know, you, you move it one way and then back, and that's a waggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And remember on the Wii, you can kind of do like a small flick to do it. And this one feels like you actually have to, like, get a good shake in.
1: Yeah, I didn't really notice any problems with that, but I have just been using the button because it's my preferred preferred method of playing video games. So in this one, the level design, yeah, you still have, like, your hub world with with different worlds. and this, they play out as, like, multi-planet galaxies that you need to work your way through. You land on the first planet, then you... You know, explore it, unlock its secrets. You find the star launcher, which will then send you to the next planet. And then eventually, you know, you might get to the end boss. You can go back in, as with the other games, to get other other stars. Uh, I love this galaxy setup because, like, even in the short amount I've played, everything is, like, really varied, even within a stage. Uh, I'm really digging that a lot at this point. the uh, collecting star bits, I think, is going to get the most annoying part. I mean, Mario can collect them by running into them. I'm finding that I am collecting a lot of them by accident <laughs> with with the controller. Um, but they do have benefits, so you can uh, collect 50 to get an extra life, and you can also use them as ammo, so you can point the cursor at an enemy and shoot them. Um, haven't had to do much of that. Uh, but you can also use it... For, there's some puzzle-solving elements that you can use it for as well. Like One of the planets had uh, flowers I could shoot to make them sprout, and that that gave me coins or, or more star gems. And...
2: I don't know if you're in deep enough, but some um, lumas you can feed them to and they'll transform
0: into new planets. Mm. Yeah, so you want to save your star bits. Don't use them as ammunition. <laughs> nah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I, I just got to the point where the character back in the... Uh, Observatory told me about feeding. So, yes. Okay. So that's interesting. I will. I will save some when I go back in. This one out of the three is the one I'm most excited to dig into. Uh, but I'm definitely going to play them in order. It looks
2: gorgeous, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it looks like it could have come out recently.
1: The The other thing that gives it away is the Wii era of Mario design.
2: There's <laughs> that? Some of the textures on the terrain stands out to me as very tiled. Mm-hmm. Because again, this is Wii, which was technically a CRT era console with the mm-hmm. with how they designed things, you can get away with a lot on a CRT that you can't with a flat screen these days. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but
0: even th- still, I remember when this game came out, there were people saying this is a Wii game that looks like an Xbox 360 game.
2: Yeah, it <laughs> it holds up. Nintendo know how to pick their art styles.
1: So yeah, I, I like like this one a lot so far. I kind of wish I had played it originally. It just, it was, it came out in that phase where I didn't have a Wii. Hmm. Yeah, so I finally got to put that right. Shame Galaxy 2 isn't on the package. Uh, no,
2: but surely they'll do something, like a standalone release or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm the same.
0: Knowing that these are all running on emulators, like I see this... Means it's inevitable to all kinds of Wii games get ported. Like Metro Prime Trilogy, it's going to happen now. It's it's not a question mm. of when. It's a, it's not a question of if. It's when. And Super Mario Galaxy yeah. Two, I'm sure, will come at some point. Let's just talk briefly. Uh, people were disappointed
1: that their emulators are not natively run and and all that sort of stuff. I my my thought is this definitely feels like a low effort port job, but also. Yeah. With that purist attitude, I'm not particularly angry about that either. It's
2: low effort, but like, how much more effort could have they have put in realistically? Like, what more can you want other than just playing some classic Mario?
1: Yeah, like some of the stuff I've seen, you know, where people are pointing to what fans have done, you know, with the big data leak. And it's like, yeah, but they're going in and they're modding the game and they you know, replacing textures. And at that point, you're... a uh, you know, a severe like remake territory rather than uh, you know a collection of classic games. That...
3: Yeah,
2: well, I think people forget that the term remaster basically means just updating the original mm-hmm. assets of what you already have because it comes from like a film term, which it basically just means taking higher resolution pictures of the original physical film reel.
1: Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not upset about that uh, as a package. Uh, like, yes, they they could have put more effort in and made things look nicer, but also, you know, they're classic games for a reason.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it goes into the whole Ship of Theseus thing, like, at at what point if you start replacing so many parts does it become a new thing, not -hmm. not the old thing? (laughs) So, yeah. In some interpretations of the idea, the less you change, the more pure to the original it is, I think is the direction they went. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Um... I think the thing where they could have gone the extra mile is the extras, like the soundtracks are there, but I would have loved some, like, you know, concept art or, uh, trivia factoids and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Things like that. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good package. Um, I'm just interested to see what happens when that, uh, period of sale ends and what they're going to do after that. We shall see. Okay. Uh, so the last thing we're going to talk about is, uh, Hades, which Tori and Andrew have been playing.
2: So Hades... Um, super Giant Games, who have made Bastion and Transistor. Those are the two that I can think of. I think there's another one, Pyre.
0: Yeah, Pyre. I've never played it. I don't know if it's on Switch yet. It's not, which is why I've never played it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Transistor is one of my favourite games, and
2: Bastion kind of bounced off it. It felt like a much slower-paced game, but in, at a at a glance, it's basically an isometric top-down hack and slash. If you've played Transistor, it's not so much like that, in that Transistor kind of let you program your moves ahead of time, whereas this is much more just pure hack and slash. So, what I appreciate about this one is what the the setting, the world of it, actually kind of gives a sort of in-game explanation for why you play it the way that you play it. Because, as the name suggests, it's about Hades, it's a roguelite, so you're going to be Dying a lot and starting from the beginning, and uh, it, it's intertwined quite well with each other. What's the main character's name again? It's
0: Z. Oh jeez, I good? keep Zagrebu. I keep forgetting Zagreus. Zagreus, yeah. I keep forgetting because yeah. uh, I'd never heard of him before. He might be a real character from Greek mythology, but let me have a I'd never voice. heard of him before, so his name is not sticking with me. Whereas Every single other character in this game is like, oh yeah, I know them, I remember that story, and then, then Zagreus, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of Greek legends.
2: Yeah. Um, apparently Zagreus is an underworld god of hunting and rebirth, which is incredibly okay. uh, apt. Basically, Zagreus is basic trying to escape Hades to meet up with his they they call it family. I don't know how they're related, but um. Mount Olympus basically uh, In Greek mythology All the gods were related True, Zeus had a, a bit Too much to do with that though <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> They're actually trying to help you get to them As well, so they can only Kind of do so much For you in Hades Like their influence doesn't really reach Hades The realm that is Too well, so you kind of just get Temporary buffs from them, so as you go through, you'll you'll discover different um, Olympian gods will give you different buffs that will. Um, it, it seems to be random each time as well, and there's different rarities for each of these buffs. Really, just to make your run more, they give more, more power through that specific run. You'll lose all your buffs from the gods when you die, and that's a big part of the game. Is that? Because you're the son of Hades, when you die, you just start at the start, and Hades gives you. He'll hassle you for trying to escape, but he'll let you. You know, I think he finds it amusing or something.
0: Uh, my reading is he finds it a bit wearying, but he's too apathetic to do anything about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's like, basically
2: oh, like, "Go on, I don't care. You're not gonna get far." But you know, I don't like, think he knows that the Olympian gods are kind of giving it them, giving him a leg up.
0: No, they don't, and the g- Greek gods, being the way they are, they're kind of petty and <laughs> backstabbing. So they're they're kind of working against Hades behind his back here. Uh, oh yeah, it, it's they're not a- so
2: much trying to help you so much as just you know giving Hades a bit of a hard time. <laughs> but I like that Hades is just you, you come and you kind of climb out of that pool of blood and you come up, and Hades is just doing his paperwork. You know, it's all a bureaucracy, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Have you actually stood there and watched him doing his paperwork? No. Does he uh, have, like, specific animations? No, but, like, that, there's a long line of spirits coming out of that pool that Zagreus <laughs> always goes into when he dies, and he's just passing judgment on each spirit in turn. You never hear what the spirit says. The spirits that are down in the House of Hades at at the very bottom level of... The underworld where the game begins and where the hub is at uh, is just full of newly dead people and they have these little icons that come up that show their mood and Hades is there passing judgment on them (laughs) and they have requests and you only ever hear him refusing basically every single thing that comes his way and he's just (laughs) doing paperwork, this endless stack of paperwork. It's it's a pretty typical portrayal of hell actually. the, uh, you know it's this bureaucracy that's completely run by endless paperwork that's a really common portrayal i'm getting kind of sick of seeing it but they went that route well. here yeah it, it's not it's not done. the focus it's just yeah. kind of
2: the background noise yeah
0: yeah it, it, it's just the aspect of it but it, it's not the main focus hmm. so it's pretty easy to ignore it
2: yeah but the, the overall world building of this is done very fantastically, in, in I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. It's coherent. Um, I think a lot of people are aware on some level of Greek mythology, whether it's through like a Disney film or if it's through studying it. it it's familiar enough that you you play through the game, you know what you're you're seeing. You might like we didn't know <laughs> uh, Zagrius is Zagrius. See, I've already forgotten it uh he's not obviously a well-known character but they um you get a really good grasp of who he is in relation to the other characters that you might recognize like Hades I'm up to Megara which I believe was a character in the Disney Hercules movie which I haven't actually seen
0: Uh, yeah like the Megara or Meg in the Disney Hercules let's just say that was a very charitable portrayal of that character and didn't really track with the actual Megara and Greek mythology. Uh, This game is much closer to uh, how Megara actually uh, was said to have behaved in the original myths Yeah, I I believe she's a
2: fury in this A lot of my Greek mythology actually comes from God of War, so it's this funny (laughs) video games and Greek mythology
0: Well hey, you don't have to pay for it Exactly I have to go to university for it And then after you kill all the Greek gods you, you just move to the Norse gods It's fine Exactly, just like the legend says Maybe that'll be
2: Hades too um, Combat So the bread and butter of this game It's actually quite simple But it can be a bit of There's a bit of depth to it Because you can pick different weapons And you get your different boons from the gods but it's basically attack, special, spell, and dash. And you can kind of combine some of these aspects with each other as well. So the spell can... So I know attack, it's just a basic attack with your sword or your... Uh, I, th- I think I've got the Aegis at the moment. Uh, and the special is kind of like a, a more specialized attack. So with the Aegis, he throws it like Captain America, <laughs> basically... <laughs> But the spell, I haven't seen
0: any options for that. Is that something that's interchangeable? No, the spell is the same. And like at the start, and I think you're, you're much earlier in the game than I am at this point, the spell mm. is pretty unimpressive. I, at first, didn't even use it because it was just this red rock. Basically, you throw at enemies and it deals a little bit of range damage to them and you get one. And when you hit enemies with it, then it stays stuck in them for a while till it lands on the ground. You have to go and grab it again before you can use it. So it just seemed really cumbersome and weak and not worth the effort. But then I started getting more upgrades for it. Like Some of the gods will give you really good upgrades for it that turns it into a really powerful spell. And also some of the upgrades you can get for Zagreus later on also increases damage that he deals against enemies that have uh, the spell... The projectile is oh, called the bloodstone. Okay. Yeah. So you're like
2: a mark for death, sort of.
0: Yeah. You, you throw the bloodstone at an enemy, and it sticks in them, and there's a little icon that appears on their name. And if you have the upgrades for Zagreus, then you deal increased damage to those enemies. So once I got those, I use the bloodstone all the time. It's kind of like the first thing I do in combat. Now is hit an enemy with a bloodstone. Okay,
2: so that kind of leads into the next part, which is going through the dungeon and finding collectibles to upgrade Zagreus both on, like, individual runs and in between uh, runs as well. Because as we said, you die, you go back to Hades. On the way back out into the dungeon crawling, you go through your room and there's a, a mirror where you use, I think it's the darkness,
0: is Yeah, you, The darkness currency, yeah.
2: Yeah, which gives you more... um, So I I think there's like a big list. The ones that I have, you can upgrade it. So every time that you clear a room, you get a little bit of healing. And each rank is just another health point. And another one where when you die, you defy death and you kind of revive with half health. Which is um, very good for boss battles if you can save it for that far. I think there's another one another two on my list but you can upgrade for more is that where you find the upgrades to the spells or is that what's yeah it
0: spell? it's in the second tier on the mirror which you need the next item the catonic keys and there's all kinds of things that are locked up in in the house of hades and in zagreus's room that like you can use the keys to get more weapons you can use it to upgrade the mirror so you have more of zagreus's attributes you can upgrade uh, main thing I'm trying to get right now is keys so I can have all that stuff upgraded.
2: Yeah, which actually kind of, to go back a step navigating the dungeon, sometimes you'll have multiple exits in a room and it will give you a kind of a clue on what the next room is. So you do have a little bit of a say of, if you're grinding for a specific collectible, you can sometimes have the option to go out of your way for it. Uh, and when you clear the room you get that item so darkness chthonic keys nectar i don't fully understand yet
0: nectar is a gift uh, that you can give to characters that improves your relationship with them the relationship values are are two-tiered like you can talk to a character in the house of hades each time you die and you revisit and Also, each time you accept a boon from one of the Greek gods while you're actually in the dungeon, you'll also improve your relationship with them. Uh, But that'll just actually increase the cap on the relationship to actually improve Zagreus' relationship. After you've increased the cap, a little hollowed-out heart will appear on that character's profile in the codex, at that point, you give them nectar and the heart will fill in and they become like a better friend to Zagreus at that point. And by doing that, uh, some of the characters have little like ribbons on their hearts. And on those hearts, when you give nectar to them, they'll give Zagreus an item that he can use in the dungeon after that. And it's a, it's a permanent item that he always has. Like one item increases his health. There's another item that revives him like the uh, Defy Death ability does another one that gives him a hundred coins at the start of every run you know different things like that
2: okay i didn't know that i i just gave the nectar to i don't know his name but it's the sleepy god right at the start oh yeah to hypnos Um, yeah that's it i can't remember what he gave me but uh i also gave one to hades just because i was like father (laughs) please love me and he's like huh what what's this i don't care go away yeah so i I think I have to like figure out nectar properly um gems, which are sort of to upgrade hades itself, the realm mm-hmm. i I haven't found too much of a use for this, yeah I haven't found too many gems on my runs yet, but I guess it's just more of a an additional activity to do in the game rather than a something that really improves
0: your runs, not that I've well, seen yet. The gems start appearing more often when you get past Meg, which you haven't gotten too far past her yet. Uh Yeah. Okay. A lot of it is cosmetic improvements to the House of Hades, but I haven't even invested in that stuff yet because there are other things you can buy with gems which do improve like the the total quality of Hades as a whole, not just the House of Hades, but also the dungeon that you're trying to escape from. Uh like one of them will add a healing pool to Tartarus which is the first area of Hades that you visit that will appear randomly after you buy it another one adds special pots like there are all kinds of pots that you can smash down in Tartarus but none of them have anything in them but if you buy the first upgrade for those pots then some of them will start having gold in them that you can then use to buy items from from uh, Charon so yeah there are tangible things to get with gems it's not just all cosmetic
2: Okay. I was worried that it was just more of a... there for the sake of it. Um.
0: Anyway, next one. Titan blood. I don't think I've gotten anywhere near that. Titan blood you get from Meg the first time you beat her with a weapon. So you can earn one Titan blood for each weapon you have unlocked from Meg. Um. I haven't done anything with Titan blood yet. I haven't unlocked anything that I can do with it yet. But it sounds like... From the description when you first get it, that it's eventually used to upgrade the quality of your weapons. But I don't know for sure. (laughs) Okay. And you reckon that would be permanent upgrades? Those should be permanent upgrades, I would imagine.
2: Which is what I really like in this sort of new era of roguelites is the the idea of each individual run gets you so far, but you can kind of improve your chances and your luck by upgrading things that stay upgraded in between runs
0: yeah that, that's the difference the between a roguelike and a rogue light and those two get used interchangeably a lot because they sound so similar and thing that really frustrates me is there's a lot of confusion about what roguelike actually means i don't think a lot of people actually are aware of the game called rogue <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah but that, that, that's the hallmark of a rogue light is even if you have a really bad run, you still got something out of it that represents a progression forward. Whereas in a rogue-like, if you die, you died and you have to start from scratch on everything. And because that's so hard and hardcore and uh, many players feel that's very hostile to their play experience, that type of game is not nearly as popular.
2: No. So if you're one of those people that's worried about the, the word roguelike or roguelite, this is much more on the roguelite side of things where you're always making progress. You, you're meant to die a lot in this as well, which is one of my contributions to this talking points list. Is Because um, I already mentioned it in a, a talk about Cadence of Hyrule roll. In this, it feels much more thematically accurate to be dying a lot because of the the weld and the whole reviving. It's it's very drilled in that dying is part of the
0: identity of the game. So it, it felt totally fine dying in this.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and when you die, like, you die very easily at the start, but you also accumulate resources like the katanic keys and the darkness that you use to enhance your character and when i first started playing on launch day like i could barely beat meg like literally I'm very close yeah like it would be a several minutes long fight and i would be like right at death's door when i finished her but now with my character significantly upgraded i've got several tiers down on the mirror now and all those upgrades unlocked and i've got fancy weapons, and also because I've played and died so much that my skill and my knowledge of how Meg works has just improved so much, now I can get her down in less than a minute with barely any effort and not taking much damage. That's really how a roguelite is supposed to work. That's how a well-designed one is supposed to work. Like, if you are playing a roguelite, and you're putting in a sincere effort, and you're still dying constantly against the same low level enemies that's probably a problem with the game and not with you.
2: Yeah. And typically when you die in this game, you get a really good sense of what killed you, what you could have done. It's it's not just random. Um
0: I mean, that does still happen every now and then in this, but for the most part that's a part of roguelites like not so much in cadence if I rule cuz like I said it's a it's a roguelite light, but Hmm. inevitably in a roguelike you're going to get a randomized start that is just bad and there's not much you can do with that run and you're just going to have to accept that you're going to die pretty early on in this run and hopefully in the next one you'll get a better first item that will get you off to a better start and you'll be able to make much more progress like roguelike veterans especially like the people who play binding of isaac they already know like how everything synergizes, all the drops, what works together, what works really well. And if like the first item they get doesn't fit into like this preset set of items that that are good, they will immediately restart the the run because they already know it's gonna be a failure. But I haven't gotten there into Hades and I, I would hope that, you know, the roguelites would get to a point where that wasn't necessary where like everything was viable uh maybe hades is that game but i don't know i haven't gotten that deep into it yet
2: yeah well from what you're explaining about the gems what i like about this is that you're kind of evolving not just with the character like the power the character's powering up so are you with your experience of the game but you're also kind of adapting the, the environment and the levels as well so it's it's uh It's a game where everything is building
0: up. My reading of this game is it's Bastion as a roguelite. Like This game plays so much like Bastion, it's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe I have to just replay
2: Bastion. I don't know why I bounced off of that one when I love Transistor.
0: Yeah, I was kind of laughing when you said that. What did you say about Transistor and speed? I don't know. I said that Transistor, it's
2: not quite like this because you have to program... Well, you don't have to, but it encourages you to program your moves ahead of no. time.
0: But I Bastion, just thought that was funny. because Bastion is a much faster game than Transistor. So. Maybe I
2: just did not get that far into it.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, speaking of Bastion. Uh, so Supergiant have a very distinct flavor of their games as well. And uh, a lot of it's very evident here. Um, the 3D isometric, as we mentioned before, That's probably like the biggest indicator that it's a super giant
0: game, but also the the art style, I suppose. Yeah, everything's hand drawn and it looks really painterly and elegant. It's a nice nice aesthetic and it's always immediately apparent when you're looking at a super giant game. Yeah, it's an interesting combo of the art style with 3D animation
2: that actually takes a while for you to realize that it's not all 2D animated. It, it, it looks like it's just really well done 2D animation Until you start seeing certain things kind of deform That only 3D animation does In fact, I'm not
0: entirely convinced that this is all 3D <laughs> I'm sure some of the backgrounds at least are just 2D But the character models are 3D Yeah
2: like it. But the point is, is that it's such a coherent art style That it just, it's hard to pull apart uh, the soundtrack as well, I haven't been playing with music too much, actually. Um, this has been a Switch light play out while watching something sort of game for me, which is probably a bad thing because the music in these games are usually absolutely gorgeous.
0: Yeah, especially Bastion. I really like Bastion's soundtrack. I was a little mm. disappointed with Hades soundtrack at first because Tartarus uses a lot of heavy metal and I'm just really tired of playing games set in hell and the soundtrack is heavy metal. But once you get past Meg the soundtrack diversifies so I was like, oh, "Okay, this sounds more like a super giant game now." <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking forward to that then. Yeah. Not my favorite soundtrack from them so far, but there are some moments there like there's a you run into Eurydice in a lower level of of the dungeon or a higher level, I should say, since you're going up out of hell (laughs) and uh, (laughs) she has an entire like vocal performance, which is another thing that Supergiant always has in their games. There's always a character who sings and Eurydice is here to do that. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that then because the voice acting
2: off the top of my head, Bastion and Transistor both are very very sparse with their um diverse cast of characters that talk because i think in bastion it's just the narrator and then i think it's the same guy voicing a a sort of semi more diegetic narration role in Mm. um transistor
0: yeah i hadn't thought about that but they they did have very limited casts this is a much broader (laughs) cast for a supergiant's game I, i hadn't thought about that before
2: Yeah, because I think just about every character that has a name in this speaks. And um, some of them are in in person, so like Hades and Zagreus and all of the other people in Hades have speaking roles, but then also every time that you get a boon from an Olympian god, they have a little bit of flavor dialogue as well. But uh, for the most part, it's just the protagonist, uh, Zagreus just talking to himself, kind of Explaining things directly to you, the player, a lot of the time, it's like that soft fourth wall break. Where, if this was a real person, they wouldn't be speaking out loud about these things,
0: but they're <laughs> doing it for your sake. Well, I don't, I don't think you've got there yet. But there's actually a point where the narrator, because there is a narrator in this game too, just fully breaks Mm. the fourth wall, and then Zagreus hears what the narrator is saying and realizes a plot twist that he's not supposed to know about, and I was (laughs) very confused, it was like what is going on now? (laughs) It's like it's going like stranger than fiction now at this point, and it's it, it was a strange sequence, but didn't really surprise me from this from a super giant game either so <laughs>
2: i i did notice one part where they're kind of it was almost like a stanley parable sort of situation where um, you can examine certain objects in the game and the narrator will explain what this is or the backstory and if you cut him off uh zagreus one time just went yeah i heard it <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i was listening something like that i haven't skipped through any dialogue so i haven't seen that but i think bastion did stuff like that too where if you ran past the narration then the narrator would comment on it so yeah (laughs) very typical for their games oh yeah good sense of humor about you know being self-aware of what a video game is and how many players do not
2: care about your story It was a cheeky little easter egg that, yeah, impatient people like me. Because I I read through the thing faster than the narrator (laughs) was speaking, so I just went, yeah, got it. And then, yeah, Zagreus went, yep. Same same way. But story-wise, I'm still very early on, so my understanding of the story is Zagreus is trying to reach Mount Olympus to reach them. They want to help him get there too. That's
0: about it. Uh, Is there more fleshing out of it? After you beat Meg, um, the next time you die after beating her, then there's a cutscene back in the House of Hades that is a flashback that will show you why Zagreus is trying to escape Hades. He he has a slightly more interesting reason than getting out just to go to Mount Olympus because he wants to. Uh, That's where he wants to go and there's a person he wants to see, but he has a a more interesting reason than I hate you devil dad <laughs> so uh, yeah yeah like okay. the more you play and the more characters you talk to the more you learn about the situations that are going on uh, in Hades and why Zagreus is behaving the way he is but really the my immediate impression was that Zagreus is kind of just like a spoiled brat and his dad is just really exasperated with him and I was yeah. more I was more on Hades' side, really, in this relationship, but... Okay. Yeah, like, things are still developing, so maybe I'll come over to Zagreus' side by the end of the plot. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, my understanding of Greek mythology is that there's no such thing as really a good guy.
2: It's just everybody has their own interests, and that's all they care about. <laughs> and even when they help somebody else out there's a ulterior motive
0: yeah everybody in greek mythology is kind of a jerk uh they're really self involved uh with with some exceptions like athena is usually pretty benevolent but she was the god of mm. justice so yeah uh and like hades as hades was the god of the underworld he was basically the greek devil but he he's not at all like
2: most he's not evil. Yeah. Like uh And I think that's why they play up the bureaucracy mm-hmm. aspect of it. Is that that's the best way to make him like a sort of relatable necessary evil sort of.
0: Yeah, if he's evil, he's a very impersonal kind of evil, which is probably the worst thing you could say about him. Like but like the Disney Hercules again, that version of Hades shown in there is very atypical for how hades is normally portrayed in greek mythology and in fact the modern devil much of the imagery from the modern devil actually comes from poseidon not from hades especially the trident the trident was poseidon's weapon so <laughs> oh, i didn't know that yeah yeah that makes sense
2: yeah speaking of all of these characters um i haven't really looked into it yet because i was just being focused
0: on gameplay but uh there's a codex that has more information about these characters yeah there is uh Achilles is down there in the house of Hades too and he's kind of Zagreus's mentor and taught him how to fight and he also gives Zagreus his codex and the codex fills in as you fight more enemies and you get more items and this is works exactly the way the codex in uh, in Bastion worked so uh, that that's kind of where my main focus on the game has been has been filling in this codex because it tells you exactly how many more of this item you need to get to fill in the next thing on the codex. Or if you want to fill in the codex entries on the weapons you can use, you have to kill a certain number of enemies. It tells you how many more enemies you need to kill. That is the kind of obsessive stuff that really gets me stuck on a game so most of my time has been spent browsing through the codex finding the next thing i want to start farming so i can get the codex entry maxed out and there is a codex entry for everything like you have to talk to this certain amount of character this number of times you have to get a boon from this god this number of times uh codex is great i love it so it's almost like a i mean it's a codex first and foremost but it's also like a an achievement system in game as well basically yeah it's it's a meta progression system and it unlocks entries written by achilles in character commenting about what all these people are like and all these weapons and how the weapons behave and their place in in history and things it's a it's an interesting thing to look through i bet he doesn't like the uh, bow and arrow too much then i haven't used the bow and arrow that much but i would imagine uh, not yeah <laughs>
2: So, different weapons and items, kind of different combinations of all of these uh, powers, basically. kind of. In, there's a play style for everyone, really. Like we were just talking about the bow and arrow, I could not get behind it. I've stuck with the Aegis so, mu- so far, and I'm finding that certain abilities work better with that sort of style of gameplay as well, because it's a much more in your face weapon. So mm-hmm. doing things that kind of increase knockback not actually that great for a weapon where
0: you need the enemy right in your face most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Like uh I used the sword at the start, the which is the weapon Zagreus starts with. Um and then I filled its codex out and I was like I really like the sword but I don't want to use something else, but I also want to keep filling in codex entries. So I reluctantly switched to the next item which is the spear and then like Less than half a dungeon run later I was like oh wait The spear is actually really good <laughs> I like this weapon even better I'm hoping I'm going to have a similar experience With the, with the bow and arrow when I get to it I think the spear is the next one That I'll be getting um, I only bought the
2: the bow and arrow Because it was cheap Yeah, I thought I might as well go and order And I bought it and I used it for one run And just died in like the second room <laughs> It's It takes a lot of getting used to and uh, I didn't take the time (laughs) but yeah overall I think um, it does a really good job of kind of tying in the gameplay with the game world Um, it does a good job of giving a story reason for just about everything and kind of poking fun at everything it can't like with like you were saying the narration sometimes kind of pokes fun at it but uh, yeah you're enjoying it so far you're nearly at
0: the end I made it to the final boss uh, because I basically I found a really broken combo with with the spear, so I was I was uh, I called it the fully auto dead stick because <laughs> uh, the spear. Uh, there's one of the items you can find down in the dungeon is the hammer of Daedalus which upgrades your weapon. And the upgrade I chose for my spear was as long as I hold down the attack button, my character will just keep stabbing really really fast and oh,
2: so it'd be like a jab like in smash yeah. brothers or something
0: yeah but just just <laughs> fully auto just by holding down the weapon and then i was taking a lot of boons from the goddess to increase the the damage of my basic attack and then i just kept getting uh pomegranates which is another item that you can find in the dungeon yes. that increases the the power of your boons. I just kept pumping those pomegranates into my attack boost. So, I was basically just walking up to enemies and just holding down the Y button until they died, <laughs> and it worked really well. <laughs> but just just my unfamiliarity with the the mechanics of the final boss, I I couldn't get past it, which I was kind of disappointed by. But I made it to the final boss.
2: Yeah, well, I have a long way to go. I'm still on like the first real boss of the uh, of the game, which is Meg. And even though I'm having trouble with her, I nearly got her down. Normally in a roguelite, I have trouble because of the aspect of continuously dying. And I feel like, now that I've learnt my lesson through Cadence of a Hyrule, but also the sort of setting of this one, where it's Hades, it's where you go when you die, it makes sense to start over and over and over. This is the first time that I feel like I'm actually starting to get addicted
0: to a, a roguelite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, I hadn't thought about that before, but yeah, this would probably be a really good entry point for a roguelite if you've never played one before or you, you've been put off by them before. Like the way this game portrays like each of Zagreus's escape attempts as like a consistent part of the narrative, not like it, it's a failure, but like a failure that is part of the story and was always supposed to happen. It's kind of portrayed that way. It makes it a little easier to swallow repeated death mm. <laughs> versus exactly. yeah versus like binding of isaac where like even though it has a persistent progression system or when you where when you unlock something it always is available in the dungeon after that when you die in binding of isaac you, you do feel like you're going back to zero every time you start over which can be demoralizing if you're not in the mindset of playing a roguelite
2: yeah i think even uh, risk of rain Uh, 2 specifically had that sort of thing Where you unlock items that will continue to show up But you're starting from absolutely scratch every time Um, that's kind of the midway point And this is much more in the end of You're going to die a lot and you're meant to And dying, it actually gives you an opportunity to kind of Spend what you've just done In a way to get further next time If you get a good, um procedurally
0: generated run at least but yeah highly recommend it very well polished the only people i would really recommend this to is to people who both like roguelites and like bastion um outside of that you know venn diagram of people i i can't guarantee that anybody's gonna like this kind of game because uh roguelites are the kind of games where you either like them or you don't and i don't know if this is going to convert anybody but I like them, and I like this game.
2: I think it's definitely going to convert um, Super Giant fans into roguelites at the very least.
1: Okay, guys, uh, what are we playing in this coming week? Tori?
2: Uh, so I already mentioned that I've been playing some Zelda games, you know, leading up to the announcement of the new one. Mm-hmm. Well, the Muso. Uh, so Hyrule Worries, the original, I'm still making my way through the story mode. But uh, I want to really get stuck into Adventure Mode on uh, Andrew's recommendation.
1: As well as yes.
2: Mario and more
3: Hades. <laughs> <laughs> I-
1: I've experienced Andrew's yelling to play the Adventure Mode before.
3: <laughs>
0: he he experiences it still. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, when they made the announcement, I did have that itch. As well, I was like, mm, maybe I do want to go back And play the adventure mode
0: At least play the first map <laughs> It looks fun
1: Yeah, it's I don't deny that it's a great mode And I love it Especially in concept, just just Time sink, man
2: I think the story mode is much more managing So many different things at once It can get tiring, but adventure mode is just Kind of like little bite-sized Bits of Hyrule
0: Warriors Which I can appreciate a lot more
1: Yep. Uh, Andrew, what
0: are you playing? Since apparently it does not have any technical problems that plagued it when it first launched, uh, I'm going to pick up Ori and the Will of the Wisps and we'll be talking about that in the next episode.
1: Nice. Uh, and I'm just going to play Mario, Mario, Mario. All three of them. Yeah.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of End Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to also check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Lots of news happening on that end. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodula community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are all in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee on GamePodular Patreon. The details for both things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew, and you can follow them at Play Critically, as well as our lovely host Andy at Flame Roast Toast and myself at Stew2 that's S T W T W O can games why games what games
3: (laughs) so i think that's it (laughs) yeah free sausages though